Hey everybody, it's Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. So a lot lately I have been talking about the church's responsibility and, you know, how do we improve society as Christians? I mean, that's kind of what I talk about every episode. It's either apologetics, it's social social criticism, or politics. Like, And oftentimes those three intermingle. And that's why I talk about them so much. And so yesterday I was doing something and one of the things that I do, because I'm such a busy person, I have earbuds and when I'm going about my task, I'll listen to the Bible. And so I was been going through the um, uh, epistles and I was just listening to them and listening to them. And then at one point I was going through the New Testament. I was listening to Hebrews and, you know... It just really dawned on me how the epistles were mostly written to correct the church and to warn them about false prophets. That just tell us something about human nature and why the current American church is really failing in their duty to society. I know most of my episodes are all of them are really a complaint about something that isn't right. But that's what I'm, my job, that's what God put on my heart to do, is to call the church to be better. All of us to be better, not just like I'm just so high above. That's not it. But the reality is, the reality is, is that our churches are failing their responsibility to call people to repentance, to call people to do their uh, due, due diligence as believers. And the failure to do so is why our culture is falling apart. Is why our culture is falling apart. And I'm going to get into that in more detail from a different angle that I normally talk about it at. And just some kind of some reflections I've had and how this really goes into, you know, as and I, we complain a lot about liberals and leftists and how they want to use the government to fix things. Well, conservatives, on some level, we've been guilty of that, too, because many of the moral failures we see being pushed and the moral um, depravity being pushed at the behest of the government is because the people running the govern, government have unrepentant hearts. When you have followers of Christ running things in society, you're not going to see this. So ultimately, the change in society starts with people turning to Christ Jesus as individuals before we can see any change in society. And our, and our objective should not be primarily to see change in society. Our primary objective to see as many people as possible not go to hell. And that's what we'll talk about. I'm Christina Caramo, and now it's time for some solid food. all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So, you know, one of the things that I said in the introduction is that we have to be careful that we're not turning to government to fix things that only the Holy Spirit can fix by drawing people to him. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit reaches out to all of us. The answer is, the question is whether or not we're going to answer and submit ourselves to him. Now, you will have to remember one thing, and I've talked about this before. This is one of my favorite quotes from Thomas Paine, that government-like dress is a badge of lost innocence. And the reason why that's so important is because Thomas Paine understood that the only reason why we have government is, to rest- is, is because of human sinfulness. 
laws are designed to deal with human sinfulness. That's the whole reason we have a government. Um, also, laws are also meant to deal with the effects of human fallenness. The thing about it is, I wouldn't. I don't need the government to tell me that if I steal from someone, I'm going to go to jail. I'm just not going to steal from people. That's just not something I'm going to do, right? I don't need laws to prevent me from murdering people. That's just not something that I'm going to do. However, we know that people do these things. So therefore, uh, we have to have laws on the books to restrain human sinfulness. You know you have people who will beat people out of money. Um, one of the things I've shared before, a book I have called The Poisoner's Handbook. And it was talking about like, you know, different ways in the Victorian area, era, excuse me, and in the, I would say the, uh, also the early 20th century, how poison was a really common mode to murder people because, you know, it was very difficult to detect um, murder by poison. And so nevertheless, one particular thing they were talking about is arsenic and which used to be common in silver polish. And um, the U.S. government had banned arsenic being put in silver polish because if a person has a cut, so if you touch polish that has arsenic on it and you don't have any cuts on your hands, actually, you'll be okay in the immediate. The long-term effects is a different question. But in the immediate, if you touch arsenic polish and you have cuts on your hand, you would die. So they just had to, you know, put a label on there that this is illegal. And that's why we see now when you buy products, whether it's a grooming product, any product, where there's even your soaps and detergents, all this stuff, they have to list the ingredients. And the reason why, because it can kill people if improper things are put in there. So companies legally have to honestly put the products or the food, the items, the food, you understand. Otherwise, people will die or be misled. Now, if people just did the right thing, didn't put harmful chemicals or honestly put in the product what they said or what have you, there wouldn't be a law requiring people to list the ingredients in the product. It's because of human sinfulness, because humans have a tendency towards deception, that there are these laws that exist. And so the more people follow Christ, and a lot of it, just what so the consumer has a right to know. You know, some things isn't necessarily that, um, maybe I have an allergy. You, you get the point. But, um, but the laws exist on our books to deal with human sinfulness and human fallenness. And uh, some of the reasons why we have laws to deal with human fallenness, just, there's, there's all kinds of things. You know, hey, we have building codes. We have this. We have that. You know, if humans were operating in the perfect will of God at all times, just in complete perfection, I wouldn't even need building codes. You know, God would tell me what to do. I would have perfect knowledge from God. Like, hey, this is what you have to do. This is what you need to do. You know, do you think uh, Noah, God told him what to do. Noah wasn't, uh, to my knowledge, he didn't have training as an engineer. Right? God told him what to do. And so humans, again, in a perfect condition, function you would think a lot differently. It wouldn't require the type of study we need. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It doesn't require the kind of study that we need if in, our firm, in our fallen condition. But you're following me. Why am I saying this? Because that's why we have laws. So those are the two reasons we have laws. So the, the second point as far as dealing with the effects of the fallen human condition regarding uh, just basic things like, you know, you want to have certain 
building ordinances and, 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 you know, okay, well, we don't want in a city things going after a certain time because it's, or at a school zone, you know, um, you know, you can't turn here a certain time of day. And it's just to keep kids safe. Again, these are just dealing with the effects of human fallenness, right? It's not necessarily sinfulness, but it's just dealing with the effects of human fallenness that you're going to say, hey, this a certain time of day, you can't turn left here because, you know, children are coming from a direction that will increase the rate, risk of someone getting hit. All right. So that's what. So I'm not going to deal with the second portion of why we have laws. I'm going to deal with the first portion as laws are there to restrain human sinfulness. And the thing about it is I was mentioning in the opening that when you read the New Testament, you read the epistles, you read Acts, you read, um, you know, you read Revelations. And I, I won't even get into Revelations, but I was just thinking of like the letters that Paul wrote and that Peter wrote and James wrote. When you think about it, they're always, they were always dealing with bad behavior. They were always dealing with bad behavior. It was, you know, in, in Corinthians, in the church in Corinth, you had an issue of this man who was having sex with his father's wife. I'm assuming it was not his mother, but it was his father's wife. You had false prophets. You had false teachers. You had people abusing God's grace. You saw that repeatedly. Paul talked about it in, in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians. Paul talked about it in Galatians. Paul talked about it in Ephesians. Uh, Peter talked about it. And first Peter, we saw in, in Hebrews is talked about it. James talks about it. Um, we uh, in Hebrews we don't actually we don't know who the author of uh, Hebrews is, but we see this constantly. Jude talks about it. So you think about it. James, Peter, Paul, Jude, they all talked about it. <laughs> and John too. Uh, John as well, not in Revelation, but I believe it was in First John, or I can't remember the first or second John. He talks about it as well. They're all talking about the same thing. Don't abuse the grace of God. As Christians, we're still to walk in holiness. And they talk about false prophets. Now, human nature has not changed from when the Old Test, the New Testament was written to now. Human nature has never changed since the fall of man. Humans are prone to the same things because of our wicked, unregenerate hearts. And even as believers, and I've said this multiple times, the life of a Christian is not one of perfection, but one of repentance. It's not like when you suddenly become a Christian that you magically just, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, sometimes that happens to people and sometimes not. But I even said to myself, it has been a journey. It has been a journey. Because I, for so long, and on some levels, I still deal with that being in love with the things of this world. You're so consumed. And a lot of people think, oh, as long as I'm not doing the big sins, right? I'm not sleeping around, you know? I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a drunkard or whatever. But there's so many other things we do that keep us captivated in a way from God that opens the door for us to be in sin, to be in unrepentant sin. And even myself, I was so guilty that being in love with the things of this world or, you know, loving things that God hates. It's not like you magically, because you become a Christian, you suddenly hate the things that God hates. No, it doesn't work like that. 
But see, the thing about it is that the more you spend time in the word of God, the more you spend time in prayer, the more you spend time in repentance, that eventually as time comes and you lose the desire to do those things because you are more concerned with pleasing God than yourself and other people. That comes with spending time with God. That comes with spending time in the word of God. And that comes with you honestly answering and listening to the Holy Spirit when you are being corrected. But again, as I pointed out, the reason why Paul and Peter and John and James and Jude were writing on these same topics over and over again because humans have a propensity to wickedness. That's because that's what people are about. Now, they also did encourage people to stand strong in the face of persecution. You know, and First Peter, he talks about how, you know, that persecution is like fire that tests for pure gold. It tests for true faith. I would argue not just external persecution, but the rest of the wrestling we have with our own sinful nature. How much do you really love God? And that is something I had to face myself. How much do I really love God? Is it lip service? Is it performance? Or is it genuine? When you confront it with temptation, when you confront it with that, what do you do? That is a test of true faith. Not believing in God to break you through the problem. That's the true test of faith. Not I'm believing in healing, I'm believing in miracles. That's part of having faith in God. But the big question is when I'm confronted with something that I want to do, but I know God doesn't want me to, what do I do? When I'm confronted with social pressure to capitulate on the word of God, what do I do? But we're taught a different type of faith. We're taught believing in God to break you out of your situation. That's a part of it, but that's not... That's not what Paul and Peter and James and Jude are mostly talking about. That's not what Jesus was mostly talking about. It was talking about you breaking free of that sinful nature that can only be done through Christ Jesus. Now, this is going to get back to my point about laws. And so, you know, and, and also we read in the New Testament, also you know, the writers were wanting to give people hope and confidence and understanding in why we place our faith in Christ Jesus. But the reason why we live in a nation that preaches a false self-help gospel. This is why we have 230 million people professing the name of Christ and abortion still legal. You know, I, I, I posted on... Um, Facebook, uh, a criticism of Lecrae, who he's a Christian rapper. He's a brother in Christ. Um, but he was upset because Charlie Kirk, who's also a brother in Christ, said that churches should not invite him because he went and did a performance and stumped for Raphael Warnock. Raphael Warnock is a heretic. He is the man of the devil. And the reason why, even though Lecrae, um, I still consider him a brother in Christ. I think he's confused and I feel that he's made his black skin an idol. But he's still, I still see him as a brother in Christ. I think he's misguided and ill-informed. But Raphael Warnock is straight up of the devil. Because Raphael Warnock calls himself a pastor. 
And if you read the book of James, you know that those of us who've been called to be teachers and ministers, we get judged way different than a layperson. Because God has put it on us to formally study the gospel and to go out and publicly inform people on his behalf. And when we've been called to do that, and then we turn around and engage in pushing out false information, that means you're a false prophet, like Raphael Warnock. And as I talked about in the epistles, they constantly, constantly read Jude, Jude's one chapter. You know what happens to false teachers. And this is what Raphael Warnock was. Not was, but is. And so when Lecrae goes out and stumps and asks people to support this prophet of Baal, it's like, as a Christian, where is your discernment? And so one of my classmates from Biola um, had mentioned, like, you know, about how there's a lot of Christians in their defense for supporting these pro-abortion candidates will say, oh, well, there's more issues than abortion. Baby, there's no more important issue than abortion because you're killing little children. The problem is that people don't fully see children as made in the likeness and image of God because if you fully saw that unborn child as being made in the likeness and image of God, there is no way you could support a candidate who supports abortion. And it's not even like Raphael Warnock, like it's this woman who's a Democrat out of um, Louisiana, and she is pro-life. Now you say, well, she caucuses with Democrats. She's a Democrat. Well, she always supports pro-life legislation. She always speaks up on behalf of pro-life legislation. So she doesn't just say she's pro-life. She shows it with her vote. She's very vocal. She goes to March for Life. Hey, she's a sister of Christ. She's like, it's no way I can support abortion. I mean, I'm saying she proposes legislation to fight against abortion. She always lobbies, always supports it. You get the point. So she shows where her feet and her voice and her pen that she is truly a pro-life Democrat. So if Raphael Warnock was a pro-life Democrat and say, hey, I'm going to stand with pro-life issues. I don't care who says what. Even though I disagree with him running as a Democrat, fair enough. Even if he said, well, I don't like abortion. I feel that... um. It's a thing that should be very rare. Uh, you know, we could talk about ways to mitigate. We have to find other ways to lower the abortion rate or something. You know, he's proud, chest out. I'm a pro-choice pastor. He's proud of it. Just a man of the devil. Just straight up a man of Lucifer. He is, Raphael Warnock is evil. And you can say, Christina, you shouldn't say that. Then you need to read your Bible. Because as I just mentioned earlier, Paul, Peter, John, James, Jude, they all called out false prophets in the harshest of terms and called those people out. Jesus Christ did it. He called them out in harshest of terms and said they will go to hell. Jesus said, you will call on me and say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, get away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Raphael Warnock is engaging in iniquity of the highest order, which is murdering children. So for Lecrae to go out and stomp for him, I'm 
not mad at Charlie Kirk for rebuking him because that's what you do. Think about Paul rebuking Peter for being a hypocrite. When the Judaizers, if you read the Bible, they were talking about people with Paul often called the circumcision party who would try to say that Gentiles had to abide by the law. And, and, and Peter didn't stand up like he should have. And Paul called him out. He would call him the circumcision party. It was so funny. Read scripture. Paul had a funny sense of humor. And so he called him out. So that's common. Even though Peter walked with Christ in a way Paul never did. Paul was tasked to bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And even though Peter literally was a part with one of the apostles who walked with Christ on earth, Paul still called him out when he was wrong. And so Lecrae got mad at Charlie Kirk and goes, oh, that's just white supremacy. That, that was so weak and pathetic and ungodly. Boy, you so wrong for that. Because your idol, your idol is your blackness. There's so many people who justify voting for these wicked people saying they're going to fight racism. Listen, baby, let me tell you something. You don't partner with the devil to get God's work done. Okay? Raphael Warnock is a man of Lucifer. You don't partner with the man of Lucifer to get God's work done. Of course, God don't like the fact that a disproportionate number of black people are in poverty. and He doesn't like anybody being in poverty. But you don't turn to somebody like Raphael Warnock to get God's justice done. Because the justice they're talking about is communism, which they're going to enslave everybody. So you don't even know what you're talking about. I digress from there. My point is, is that too many people don't fully understand what being a Christian is. And so we live in a nation where there's this self-help gospel. And let me tell you how I know. So I gave a presentation um, almost two weeks ago for uh, women in apologetics, and I was the topic. The title of my breakout session was uh, "Telling the Truth Is Loving," and I was talking about how in the American church we've got to preach about sin. It is not to condemn people. People are condemned by their fallen nature and sinfulness. I can't condemn anybody. It is of hope of bringing people to Christ Jesus. But again. If 200, it's about 350 million people in America. 230 million profess to be Christian. How is that possible? Looking at our culture, how is that possible? It's not. Love him or hate him. John MacArthur, I like John MacArthur. John MacArthur made a quote, said people call themselves a, a Christian and we never question that. Like, are you really one? And that's not about feeling self-righteous and haughty. And that's one of the reasons why I put myself out there. Like, hey, I got issues. I got struggles. God had to deal with me with a lot of stuff. And continues to because I'm human. But the thing about it, I have a heart of repentance. And I'm genuinely in my heart and soul want to every day improve. I was talking to a friend who says when he prays, like you should always when you pray, repent and ask for wisdom. That should be your prayer all the time. Because the more you pray, the more you feast on the word of God, it will improve. Because, see, as our fallen nature means that we are separated from God. That's why we struggle in our obedience. Because of that um, 
chasm that exists between us and God because of our fallenness. That's why we struggle. But churches are not preaching on it. And here is why this upset me so much. As I said, I was listening to the Bible yesterday and I was listening to Hebrews and my heart just began to break to so many people who are on their way to hell and do not know it because their churches are just all about self-help and your breakthrough and or they political hacks or whatever. Hebrews 10, 26, Hebrews 10, 26 through 30. Listen, for if we go on sinning deliberately, listen to that word, deliberately. So there's a big difference between me stumbling falling, messing up, and repenting than me deliberately saying, I don't care what God says. I'm going to have sex with my fiance anyways. I heard somebody say that. I know a person who professes to be a Christian and was like, oh, well, if I'm engaged, I'm having sex. What did Hebrews tell us? Okay, let me, let me finish Hebrews. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, so you know, now this is different. That's why, you know, Hebrews, it talks about solid food. And well, I forget when that's the name of my podcast, right? There is a difference between God. That's why God is a judge and we're not. Because see, God knows what knowledge we have. God knows where our heart is. So God knows about the woman who is in a relationship. She come to Christ and she's struggling to get there she's struggling like oh my god this is a sin god help me and she's living with her boyfriend and she's trying to work it out get out she's just, it's just she's trying right god knows the heart of somebody who's trying and struggling than the person that says i know what the word of god said i don't care i'm doing with me god knows the difference he does that's why he's a judge and i'm not so when i see somebody doing something wrong and god see he knows what's going on in their heart i don't I'll read this again. I'm going to read it and I'm not going to give any commentary. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So that means that if you know the truth of the gospel, but you deliberately go on sinning, you don't care, I'm doing me, you are going to hell. Period, end of story. There is no sacrifice for your sins. Verse 27. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury, fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let me read that one more time in case y'all missing me. Because how many churches preach on this? I, I want to sit and go through like 10 random sermons of pastors in, in Michigan where I live in the Detroit area. And I want to listen Today's sermons, and I bet you not one time did they mention sin and hell. Like if you engage in unrepentant sin, you are going to hell. Period. End of story. But they too busy giving a bunch of people who don't care about being obedient to God encouragement that God gonna deliver them for their situation where they sitting there sitting comfortable in sin. They not they don't even care. They're not even trying. One more time for the people in the back. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but fearful expectation of judgment and a fire of fury that will consume the adversaries. A young 
who was set aside. The law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of the two of these of, of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Holy Spirit. He's sitting here telling you that when you profess the name of Christ, you know the truth. But you like a Raphael Warnock and you just keep on sinning and doing it anyway? You just profane his sacrifice. You disrespected the Holy Spirit in the highest way. Hold on. Let's back up. Calm down, Christina. I gotta calm down. Verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant? By which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. So you have taken God's grace, his mercy, and you have used it as an open door for licentiousness. And the churches in America, they don't preach about that. We have hope. Believe in God. Don't let your haters talk you down. No! No! I'm mad, not because I'm so holy and righteous, because I don't want people to go to hell. That's horrible. How many people are on their way to hell and don't know it? Because they sit up in spiritually dead churches who care more about keeping their coffers filled and being popular than saving souls. I don't like human suffering. I don't want to see people hurt. I don't want to see people in pain. So how can you care about human beings and not care about their soul? And, and this is where some of my frustration comes in. And this is where it goes, gets back into politics. This is where we get back in, 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 into politics. Because you have so many Christians who are helping to put people in office, who want to stop that message from getting out. Let me say that one more time for the people in the back. Oh my God, Holy Spirit, please keep me calm. There are Christians who are helping to put people in office, who want to stop that message from getting out. And you do it knowing full well what these people are about, claiming they're fighting for justice. Let me tell you something. What difference does it make to have a full belly and a soul on the way to hell? Let me say that again. What difference does it make to have a full belly and a damned soul? It makes no difference. I'd rather you starve on the streets in pure pain and agony, but yet on your way to be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, than a filled belly, a warm house, and about to burn in hell. It's not about these people are horrible and they deserve it. I deserve it. But yet it was for his grace and mercy. I, I point to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 so much because after Paul rebukes them and say, hey, if you do this stuff, you're going to hell. And after he said all this stuff you shouldn't do, 
He says, so were some of you. He's telling people, some y'all, some of y'all were all this stuff. Murderers, people engaged in homosexuality. Okay, let's all the sins we can think of. And he said, so were some of you. So were, operative word, were. They didn't do it anymore. I don't care what you've done. Even the most despicable people, a child molester can be forgiven by God. It doesn't matter. But if you as a Christian are putting people in office who want to stop that message from getting out, baby, you are helping Satan. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but the discernment is seriously lacking when it comes to politics. This is no longer about fiscal policy. I'm not even talking about that. We're talking about the truth that you see over and over and over and over again. Let, let, let me let me relax. Let me relax. Because I'm 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 getting so upset. I, I mean, I'm trying to I, I have my glasses off. I think it's in first John and I want to find it. I should, cause I try, you know, you read, I, I don't have all the scriptures. Um, let me, let me see this. Read this. Yeah. Yeah. Let me read this. First John two, nine. Let me start here. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light, but does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, have been blinded by the darkness. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I'm, I have written to you who are God's children because you know the father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed in the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love this world, you do not have the love of the father in you. For the world offers only cravings of physical pleasures, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. They are not, they are not from the Father, but are from the world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, it's interesting. When I started, it started... In 1 John 2, 9, it says, If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not call others to stumble. Now, that is so important. And he goes on to all the people who's writing to, and at the end, you just notice I wrapped up and talks about loving the things of this world, loving the achievements of this world. If you love your fellow man, you do not cause them to stumble. Where am I going with this? When we tell you that these people that you're voting for are advocating for public policy 
to take elementary school children and teach them to explore their sexuality, you are causing other people to stumble. What does uh, Luke 17 say? I think it's Luke 17. I'm pretty sure it's Luke 17. I'm pretty sure it's Luke 17. Uh, let me see. I'm pretty sure I might be wrong. I hope I'm right. But I think I might be wrong. Let me see. I'm Luke 17, really quick. Uh, oh, yes, it's Luke 17. One day Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It will be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So Jesus points out that you, it's better to have a millstone. Y'all ever seen what a millstone looks like? Okay. So a long time ago, they would have like these, um, in biblical times, shall we say, they would have like these big like circle things and it was like a, like a groove in it. And that's the way they would have a mill, you know, mill their wheat or whatever. And they was like this giant, giant stone. It was super heavy. It had like a stick in it in the middle of like a, like a little donut hole. And they would roll it to the ground of grain, right? Jesus said, it's better to have one of those tied around your neck and thrown in the sea. If that happened to you, baby, you're going to have a ter terrible death. There's no way you're free from that. You're just going, all the water going to go in your nose, mouth, and lungs. You're done. He's saying that's better to happen to you than to cause one of these little ones to sin. And we're sitting here telling you that I, I told y'all about 10 times. I've said about 10 times that I sat on the sex education board at DPS. And they literally are taking kids in their kindergarten kindergarten, telling them that it's okay to have two mommies and two daddies. What does the word of God say about same-sex sex? It is a sin. It isn't just, it's a litany of sins, right? It's one sin among many. But that's the only sin, that's the only sin that the federal government, thanks to Democrats and liberals, whatever the heck you want to call these people, Holy Ghost caught my tongue, these people want to go into schools and take five-year-olds and teach them that this sin is healthy, normal, and safe. What does the word of God tell you? What does the word of God tell you? That people who unrepentantly engage in this sin, as long with all other sins, it isn't just that sin, but a person who unrepentantly engages in sin will go to hell. And so these schools want to come and teach little kids to unrepentantly engage in sin. And if you take a child and you teach them something, kids are like sponges. Do you know that? Sponges, Play-Doh, whatever you want to call it. Kids are like sponges. And when you take a child and you take them and you teach them something, over years and years and years and years, they're going to do it and think it's okay. So these politicians... That you want to put in office because, oh, they're going to bring justice for my race. Oh, they're going to be justice for women. They're going to help marginalized people. Where? Tell me what scripture you standing on for saying I got to vote in wicked people to help the marginalized. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's, what's chapter and verse. Break it down for me. Spell it out. But these people want to take kids and train them up against the knowledge of God so their souls will be damned to hell and you don't care. Because if you care, you wouldn't stump for these people, Lecrae. If you care, you wouldn't help put these people in office. And we tell you what they do. And we show you the evidence. Baby, I've got the receipts. 
the receipts for everything I say. I didn't quote the Bible. I got the complaints I sent when I sat on that board. I got the images of the curriculum. I, and laws in the state of Michigan. We had somebody trying to pass some freaky laws to update and change the sex education standards. And we tell you, this is what these people are doing. Yeah, but, but justice. God is just. That's the justice we aim for. And what you're turning to a wicked government to do is what God called the body of Christ to do. It is our job to help the needy. It is our job to disciple them, to help them get out of the situation. We live in a free country where most people who are living in impoverished situations because of bad life choices. And if they would have followed the word of God, they wouldn't be in that position. Most people are poor because they had kids they could not afford to take care of. And they didn't get their education. That is nobody's fault but your own. But it's our job to walk alongside with these people to help them elevate out of that situation and then disciple them along the way. That is our job. Not the job of the government to come take my money, spend 40 or 50% of it on stupid stuff, steal some of the money, and then give peanuts to the poor people. But we can even discuss the fiscal policy. But when you know these people are trying to train up children against the knowledge of God that will cause their souls to go to hell, you are complicit in helping that happen. Ain't no way of dancing, getting around that. I didn't plan to spend all that time here today, but I had to. So point one, because I was going to talk about it, but I didn't spend that much time. Point one, there are millions of people on their way to hell. And so this is the primary problem. With churches not teaching the whole counsel of God, you got, and I believe that was an axe. I believe that was an axe when uh, Paul talked about that. I believe it was axe, pretty sure. But you have to preach the whole counsel of God. Yes, we want to encourage people and make people feel like they can make it through their problems. Yes, 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 yes. But that is not the primary part of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the primary reason why we preach the gospel. The primary reason is because I don't want people to go to hell. That's horrible. I got friends and family members on their way to hell, and it hurts. People I care about, I don't want them going to hell. Don't you understand? Churches need to do their job. You got so many people who go to church every Sunday on their way to hell. Don't even know it. Because they sitting there thinking they getting the full word of God because they, they sit there and hear about how God going to help them. God isn't... Come on. It's my job to serve God. Not God's job to serve me. You need to get that together. So, with that being said, you have millions and millions of people with unregenerate hearts pulling the levers of power. <laughs> so, you have all these people who rejected Jesus Christ pulling the levers of power. And now, let me make this clear. There are people who I know who are not believers in Jesus Christ, who are good in a human sense, because actually none of us are good, if you understand what I mean. 
um, by that with human depravity. But what I'm saying is that people I like and care about and I feel that are decent and kind, loving people. However, there are millions of people with unregenerate hearts who reject God, who are pulling the levers of society. So necessarily, it's going to be very problematic. And the laws and the policies that they seek to create are designed to go against the knowledge of God. This is why Christians must stop with this idea that we are to keep our faith private. No, no, no. I wear my Christian faith on my sleeve. I'm unashamed of the gospel. Unashamed. I'm unashamed of my shortcomings. And I like to tell people the things I struggle with shortcomings. Why? Because I don't want people to ever think that I'm sitting up here like I'm so holy, high and mighty. I don't want people to ever think that I've always walked with Christ. I was baptized at seven years old. I was. Now I don't want to ever give the impression that I was baptized at seven and I just walked right on through. I always followed the Lord. No, 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 and no. But it took for me to submit myself to the will of God, to submit myself to his correction. And when God comes to me and says to me, you were wrong. I don't sit there and go get haughty and go, oh, well, I have to repent. And the more I repent and the more I read, the more I study, the more I pray, the more I turn away from things that I like, even though I want to do them. The more you do that, the closer you get with God, the more you walk in fellowship with him, the more you hear his voice. I hear people say, I don't hear God's voice because you don't follow him. Jesus is not your Lord. You are. So you're not going to hear his voice. That's not to say he doesn't speak to people who are walking in iniquity. I'm not saying that. But you can't say you're searching for God when you're really searching your flesh. And so as I said before, you have these people with unregenerate hearts pulling the leaders of society. And the fallout, this rebellion, <laughs> then the fallout of this rebellion leads to the growth of government. And a government filled with people who have unrepentant hearts. Now, many of these people, I think, some of them have good intentions. But just because your good intentions based on your unregenerate heart. And as I said before, it's not the job of the government to fix society. It's the job of the government simply to make sure that other people aren't violating other people's rights. Because anytime you have groups of people who reject Jesus Christ thinking they're going to fix society, it's going to lead to oppression and tyranny. It's going to be rooted in their false worldview. It's going to be rooted in their sinfulness, rooted in their idolatry, rooted in their wickedness. And for millions of Christians to turn to people who hate God, who want to pull God, who want to pull people away from God to fix society is unreal to me. Where is, and it's because they have idols. And I've said it before. They're idols of identity. And when I say they made blackness an idol, it isn't just necessarily black people. I mean, I, I saw a video of a white pastor, like, washing somebody's feet. I mean, and I understand foot washing um, to, you know, to show humility. But it was just the context of it. It was, it, it's supposed to be we wash each other's feet. Like, the time I participated in foot washing ceremonies, we, like, me, I washed the person's feet and the person washed my feet. Okay, 
it, it just, to me, it was too much. And I'm not saying the person's heart was wrong, but I've seen other people, oh, we have to dismount a whiteness and we have to be anti-racist. So it's not enough to just not be racist. You have to submit to this anti-racist work, which is just Marxism. Because the reason why I say it's Marxism, because if you read it, it's no, it's like a moving target. And it justically moved, the target is moving straight on down to leftism. It's not about you actually doing anything like um, just being a kind of decent person, but you must proactively submit to their worldview to truly be anti-racist. And that's why people get upset because they're lobbying for public policy and all kind of other stuff. And, and, they, and they, they want to attach all types of policies like, okay, if I don't support wearing, if I, if I don't support the lockdown, it's because you want black people to die. It's because of white supremacy. If you challenge the election results, which were fraudulent, it's all outdoors. Fraudulent is all outdoors. If you challenge the election results, it's because you're rooted in white supremacy. What? If you are against abortion, it's rooted in white supremacy. That's why I say the anti-racism work, quote unquote, is just a is just a pathway to communism. Because the conclusions are always the same. Whether it's environmental justice, social justice, racial justice, blah, 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 blah. All their solutions are against same and against capitalism. So if these people had some um, unique conclusions or unique unique conclusions to each of these, then you might say these are just some people who have isolated things. But most of this stuff, it all leads down this Marxist road. It's all rooted in the Marxist worldview. And many of the people don't know this. They don't. They would get angry at me for saying that. I'm like, oh, it's not. What are you talking about? Communism. We just want racial justice. Okay, what does that mean? That means adopting Marxist public policy, environmental justice. What does that mean? We want a universal basic income. We want Medicaid for all. It's like, no matter what your quote-unquote justice is, it leads to some kind of communist policy. That's why I said it's just communism. But all these issues we see in society, all these inadequacies and all this and stuff is rooted in it. The church not doing its job. Um, and, and it's funny, like I say, we trust people who callously kill children to fix society. <laughs> that is unbelievable. But this is how, because our society is filled with a bunch of selfish people who only care about themselves. That's how they're able to waste money. I, I've mentioned Abraham Hamilton a lot. If you don't watch his show, The Hamilton Corner, you are missing out on a treat. I listen to his show every day. I love his show. And he pointed out something at Hezekiah. And I think I might have mentioned this before on my episode on the other day. He was pointing out like how with Hezekiah, when he went and showed the Babylonians all their weapons, their their treasury, everything. And I believe it was Isaiah said to him, why would you do that? The Babylonians are going to take us over it and, and sack us, basically. And Hezekiah said, well, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. And so you have people who are willing to basically set our children up in a broken nation. And not care because it's like, it ain't going to happen in my lifetime. So, no, I'm not worried about it. But what about the, the succeeding generation? There's a Greek proverb I heard that said, a wise man plants a tree where he'll never enjoy the shade. But these people with these unregenerate, unrepentant hearts don't understand the concept of planting a tree where, they're, where they will never enjoy the shade. They only care about themselves. That's it. That's why they kill babies. That's that's why you have people who won't push back against a legislative agenda to indoctrinate immorality and murder children and destroy America. Because even within the Republican Party, a lot of these rhinos, oh my God, I'm going to do a whole episode about rhinos. 
Don't worry, I'm putting it together because they get on my last nerves. Like all these Republicans in office, they they grow big stones when Democrats have a majority. When we have a majority, they just act like a bunch of cowards. A lot of them is controlled opposition. A lot of them are frauds. The, the conservative imposters are controlled opposition. That's what a lot of it is. A lot of it. I won't get into that right now. But they they also, they won't push back. The church won't push back. Everybody is cowards. It is cowards. Are cowards. Why? Because they love themselves more than God. If you love God more than anything in this world, you will happily put yourself on the line. Peter talked about it in 1 Peter. He rejoiced in the persecution. Not that he liked being persecuted, but he liked being obedient to God. And as I said before, as I said before to a lot of these people who justify back in these politicians who are pushing iniquity, who are trying to stop the spread of the gospel, and they justify it because they, they have their idols. Their idol is identity. Or this blackness, or this marginalization. They made an idol of these things. Being a woman, sexual minority, whatever. They made an idol of these things. And so that prevents them from seeing the most important thing. What does it matter if a person has a full belly, if they have a damn soul? Does it matter? And I would take these people seriously if they challenged the people in their party of all this rampant iniquity that they pushed. Now, if they were challenging these people, like that woman in Louisiana I talked about, who does challenge her party, she's a state she's a state rep, I think, or a state senator in Louisiana. So, you know, her her district supports her. So you could say, well, how is she still a Democrat? Her district supports her. So I'm sure she has a bunch of Christians in her district who agree with her, right? But um, how many Democrats do you see challenging the iniquity in their party? None. None. And, and please believe there is a concerted effort in the Republican Party to get rid of people like me. Concerted effort. They are tired of us evangelical Christians. Tired of us. Completely tired of us. And they want to get rid of us. And we ain't going nowhere. So that is all for today. Thank you for tuning in to It's Solid Food. You can check out my podcast on all major podcast platforms. Apple, Spotify, Google, all that good stuff. Um, iTunes. I'm everywhere. We worldwide, Craig. Okay. Some of y'all might get that reference. Um, so I yeah, you can check me on all major podcast platforms. You can um go to my website, ChristinaCromo.com. Um, you can also check me out on Facebook and YouTube at the Christina Caramo Project. Also Instagram at Caramo the Great. That's Caramo, K-A-R-A-M-O, the G-R and the number eight. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodle. Oh, oh.